In the name of Jesus Christ, who ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, who will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, my dear sisters and brothers in Christ. There are certain days in our lives where just to reference them will bring up certain thoughts and memories and emotions, are there not? I think we have a pretty good example of that coming up. Thanksgiving Day, just to say that to someone. For many of us, will bring up memories of past meals that we shared, specific people that we shared them with, the, the smell of the food, the, the location of those dinners. There are a number of days like that, other holidays that come around year after year. We build traditions into them, things that we, we do to remember them by. But then there are also those, those days in our lives where they're not necessarily annual things. They're more like once-in-a-lifetime events. And you have similar thoughts and memories and emotions that are tied to those once-in-a-lifetime kind of events as well. Your wedding day, the birth of a child, a graduation, a retirement, a funeral. Or how about the day that we've been talking about and thinking about this morning? A day that none of us have experienced, but all of us have thought about. Maybe even lost sleep about. Judgment Day. There's a day that can muster up some thoughts, a healthy conversation, some emotions between people. I think the, the emotions that most commonly occur that, that people bring to me or that I see come up in people as we have this conversation or we mention this day is a, a fear. I, I don't know what my verdict will be on Judgment Day, I don't know what God thinks of me. And so it's a day that I just like to think about being as far off in the future as it possibly can be. For others, it stirs up in them anger. Just the idea of having to stand there and be judged. We all hate being judged. No one likes to be told that they're wrong. No one likes to be told that their life did not measure up to a certain standard, that they did not amount to what they were created for. And so it's not just a day to be avoided. It's a day to not even think or talk about ever. Or maybe for you it is a day that, that brings great confusion. What in the world is, is going to happen? And who's to say that it actually will ever happen? I mean, can anyone really be confident and speak with any kind of authority that a thing like Judgment Day is actually going to happen and it isn't something that religious people invented just to keep people in line? 
So, you know what? It's probably nothing to worry about. Certainly not something to fret over. I think. I hope. I'm confused. There was a day like that that encapsulated everything that I just talked about for God's Old Testament people. The thoughts, the emotions. It was an annual day, one that they celebrated day or year after year, but it was so much more than just a holiday. It wasn't a a -a once-in-a-lifetime event kind of day, but it pointed ahead to a -a once-in-a-lifetime kind of event, day that was coming. It was a day of judgment, and therefore it was a day that was filled with fear and wrath and anger and, and frankly, confusion. The day was called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And it was undeniably the most important and the biggest day of the year for God's Old Testament Israelite people. The day took place at the the tabernacle, that movable tent that God's people built while they were making their way through the the wilderness, but then later on it, it took place at the temple, eventually when Solomon built it. In other words, it was a day that was spent at church. And inside Israel's church were two rooms. The first was called the holy place which only priests could enter. It it contained only three items in the whole room. There was a table called the table of showbread, and on that table, every morning was baked and placed 12 loaves of bread, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Then there was the golden lampstand, which was burning all the time, day and night, year-round, because that was the only light inside the tabernacle. Finally, there was the table of incense that in the morning and in the evening, the priests would go in and they would put incense on there and as that smoke arose, it meant to be this picture of the prayers of God's people rising up before Him as sweet-smelling incense. At the back end of that room was a thick curtain which separated it from the other room which was the most holy place. A place that only the high priest could enter and only on one day a year, on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Inside that smaller, most holy place was only one item, the Ark of the Covenant. And inside the Ark of the Covenant were again three more items. A golden jar of manna, that mysterious bread that God used to sustain and strengthen His people for their 40-year-long journey. Aaron's staff and the two stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. It symbolized this perfect place, 
10 cubits high, 10 cubits wide, 10 cubits deep. This perfect cube is the place where God was present. Hovering over the Ark of the Covenant, of course, were the the cherubim whose wings touch, and there is where God would come to dwell with His people. The mercy seat of God, it was called. And so, before the high priest on that one day of the year could go into the presence of God, there were some things that he needed to do first. You see, the temple was a place for sacrifices. There was a lot that went on at the tabernacle, at the temple. Prayers were being offered. God's Word was read. It was a busy place. There was lots to do. But the main thing the temple and the tabernacles were used for were sacrifices. This was the place you went to sacrifice. Animal sacrifices actually were demanded by God for pretty much every aspect of human life. To maintain fellowship between God and His people and to restore broken relationships between God's people and God's people. For premeditated sins and sins that were committed in ignorance, for specific sins and just general sins, the need for blood sacrifices crossed generational lines and class lines. It didn't, ma- it didn't matter if you were a member of the one percenters or if you were a beggar. You needed to go and make a sacrifice. It didn't matter if you were a priest or a layperson, if you were Jewish or a convert to Judaism. God demanded sacrifices, and for 365 days a year, God's people made them. In this way, God showed that there was no human being on earth who was exempt from His wrath, from His justice, that no one could escape it without the shedding of innocent blood. In fact, there's a verse right before our text in Hebrews chapter 9 that summarizes all of this succinctly and quite staggeringly. It says, The law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. And so on this most holy day of the year, that's exactly what the high priest did. He made two sacrifices, actually. The first one was for himself. If he was going to enter into the presence of God, then he needed to be cleansed. After he made that sacrifice, he then made a second sacrifice as a cleansed, now holy person on behalf of the rest of the people of Israel. And as he did so, he would gather up the blood from those sacrifices and he would dip into it a, a hyssop branch and he would sprinkle everything in the tabernacle with blood. All of the places before he walked up to and even into and all over the Ark of the Covenant. And not just what was inside the tabernacle. Not just what was inside the temple. He even sprinkled it on the Israelites as well. 
The law required that everything be covered and cleansed in blood, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was quite a day that left quite a memorable impression on God's people. You can only imagine the kinds of thoughts and memories and emotions that the Israelites would have connected to this day. The smell of incense and the smell of blood. The sounds of animals screaming for their lives and the rising of the smoke. The sight of seeing your family and yourself covered in blood, unforgettable to say the least. Which kind of makes me wonder if it wouldn't be beneficial for us to get back to that. Instead of just thinking what so many of us do so often, which is, oh, you know, it's not a big deal because God will just forgive me. And so Judgment Day, what really is there to worry about? If God really is this loving God that all of you Christians claim that He is, then why would I sweat it? And we start to buy into it ourselves. But what if instead we thought, instead of no big deal when we sin, what if instead we thought, you know what? Because I did that, because I said that, because I thought that, now something has to die. Instead of bringing post-service treats Sunday after Sunday, what if instead we had a sign-up where every Sunday you could sign up to bring the, the, the alive lamb that we would then bring up to the altar and sacrifice. And instead of these sweet-smelling flowers on the altar, this place would just reek of burning animal flesh. What if instead of taking the kids over into the fellowship hall and teaching them some of the fun stories of the Bible, instead we taught them how to properly drain the blood from the sacrifices, to get every last ounce of blood out of that lamb, out of that bull. And then what if instead of our ushers, I know we don't do this anymore, but we used to, what if instead of our ushers going up and down the aisles collecting offerings, what if instead they went down and took that blood and they sprinkled it on you and your family? Do you think that might make an impression Would we get it then? Would we understand the seriousness with which God views sin and the serious with seriousness with which you and I should also then view it? Would we then understand that there is no, I'll just say I'm sorry and everything will be fine, but that this is what sin does? This is what it costs to remove. A life has to end. And that life is yours.
The soul who sins is the one who will die. Or do we forget that too? Do we forget that the reason we die is not because of cancer or old age or an accident or COVID? But rather, the writer to the Hebrews tells us the reason that we die is because we are destined to die. And we are destined to die because the wages, the cost of sin is death. And if that wasn't bad enough, after we meet our destiny of dying, then it's after that then we face judgment. And if we have enough sins to earn for us death, then you can pretty much guess what our judgment will be like. It makes sense that Judgment Day is a day that brings fear and anger and confusion. It makes sense that it is a day for many people that is hated and to be avoided at all costs. But despite the shock value going, of going back to the Old Testament sacrificial system might bring us, here in Hebrews chapter 9, the author of Hebrews is making the case that we don't do it. That we not go back to the sacrificial system, and I tend to agree with him. Not just because I don't want to get rid of our post-service treats, but the whole point of this section, the whole point of the entire letter to Hebrews is to show us that Jesus is so, so, so much better. Jesus is better than Moses and the law and the Sabbath and the temple and the sacrifices and even the high priest. Jesus supersedes them all because Jesus did what none of those things could ever do. He actually did away with sin. Yes, Moses gave you the law, but Jesus is the only one who actually perfectly kept it. And then he gives that perfect status, that sin-free existence under the law, and he credits it to you by faith. The Sabbath, yes, was a day of rest. It provided you with a whole sundown to sundown, 24-hour period to give you physical rest. But Jesus, Jesus promises you spiritual and physical and eternal rest. Yes, the temple was the dwelling place of God, but it was just that one room in that one place, and only one person could actually go in and experience it. But Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us, who descended down from the heavens to dwell with us in flesh. And He is now accessible to you anywhere and everywhere through word and sacrament. The sacrifices made a bloody point, but they never actually paid for sin. That's why they had to make sacrifices 
365 days a year. That's why the Day of Atonement had to be repeated year after year. Because while the sacrifices made a point, their main point was to point to Jesus. The Lamb of God who would actually come and take away the sin of the world. And the high priest, to have a mediator between God and man, to have someone who was called and set apart to speak to God on your behalf, who pleaded for you and prayed for you and made sacrifices for you. What a gift was the high priest. But the high priest was just a man. A man who needed his own sacrifice, who needed his own mediator, who needed his own Savior. But Jesus is the great high priest, the ultimate high priest, the final high priest, the high priest who doesn't need someone to sacrifice for him, the high priest who doesn't need to sacrifice something or someone else, and not over and over. He accomplished salvation when He sacrificed Himself once for all. Here's how the author to the Hebrews put it. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Jesus isn't limited to one little room in a tent or a temple built by human hands. When Jesus died and that temple curtain was torn in two, the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place, He not only ushered in full access to God as our true mediator and high priest, but through His resurrection and ascension, Jesus now accomplished the perfect plea for all sinners. A plea which He now makes in the presence of His Father, day and night, day after day. And that plea goes something like this. Father, because of my perfect life, my innocent death, and my victorious resurrection, these people, they are redeemed, bought back from sin and death with my perfect, precious blood. They are restored This atonement, this relationship, this covering, this dwelling now between you and your people, it is restored. They are forgiven, set free. No sins count against them. And the Father has absolutely no objections. Nor did Jesus enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. There's a word that keeps coming up in this section over and over again. It's the word once. Nothing like that existed in the Old Testament. Once. It all had to be repeated. It all had to be rinsed. It all had to be cleansed again and again and again. But with Jesus, it's just once. It is once and for all, and that means that it is for you. 
your sins are done away with once and for all. Because on the Day of Atonement, the day that all of those other Days of Atonement pointed to on Good Friday, Jesus sacrificed Himself once for all for you. How does that change your perspective of Judgment Day? Because it absolutely should. Fear? What are you afraid of? The only thing that can condemn you is your sin, but you don't have any. They have been removed, covered, sprinkled over and sanctified with blood and not with the blood of bulls or sheep and not anything that needs to be done over and over again, but with the very blood of God Himself. Yes, the wages of sin is most certainly death. Which is why Isaiah reminds us that God laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Which is why Paul says to the Corinthians that God made Him, Jesus, who had no sin of His own, He made that Jesus to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. The life that had to end because of your sin was His, not yours. Jesus was the sinner. You are righteous. Jesus was condemned. You are forgiven. Jesus died so that you will live. Are you angry? I get it. No one likes to be judged. But you've already been judged. Because Jesus was judged in your place. Which is why Jesus said in our Gospel reading in John chapter 5, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes the one who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. You've already been judged. You've crossed over from death to life. This is God's gift to you in Christ. Who gets angry at a gift that they do not deserve? Not, not you. Are you confused? Will it actually happen? Be confused no more. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Are you looking for proof that Jesus is coming back? The proof is that he came the first time. That generation after generation, God made the promise that a Savior was coming, that He would send this suffering servant into the world to do away with sin. And on that Bethlehem evening, there the promise was lying in a manger. The proof of Christ's second coming is that He came the first time. That He came to deal with sin. And now that your sin has been dealt with and removed, he will come again. He will keep that promise too. But this time it won't be to deal with sin. He's already dealt with it. 
It will be just to simply bring you salvation. This is why Jesus says, A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear my voice and come out. And by his grace, you know that voice. The voice who says, once for all, for you. So set your fear and hatred of Judgment Day aside, brothers and sisters. This is a day to look forward to. This is a day to pray for. This is a day to eagerly anticipate because you know who your judge is. He is Jesus Christ, your substitute, your sacrifice, and your Savior because you already know your verdict. You have passed over from death to life. You are not guilty. Not today, not ever. Jesus says so. He signed it with his own blood. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.